Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. I'm Steve Barrett, I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week and MM&M, and really delighted to have a very special guest this week, Sally Sussman, who's EVP of Corporate Affairs at Pfizer, and uh, we've long wanted her as a guest on the podcast, and really great to have you here, Sally. Welcome. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. Yeah. I'm going to talk to Sally about her role at Pfizer and, and all the big issues there. Um, and then uh, we've got Frank Washcook here, our news director. How are you doing, Frank? I'm well. Thank you uh, for having me on. Well, that's a pleasure, mate. The show wouldn't be the same without you. And you're very excited about the new Apple Watch. Very excited. Yes. And we're going to get into that a bit later, along with some other news stories. W2O Group's Bob Pearson stepping down. We launched the PR Week Hall of Fame, the Group uh, 2018 honorees this week. Martin Sorrell has unveiled some plans for his new company, S4. MDC is seeking a new CEO. And Nick Dagan is uh, getting a new job. He's going from journalism to PR. Brave man. And uh, he's going to be the American CEO at Brunswick. So we'll talk about all those things. But Sally, let's talk to you first. You are a, a... Great friends of PR Week, we've been writing about you, you've been on our power list. I was checking, I think, eight out of the last 10 years. Um, your, uh, a little breaking news here. It's our 20th anniversary on PR Week US, and we've picked 20 PR pros, uh, most notable PR pros of the last 20 years, and you are one of them. Oh, so thank you. That's going to be, really? coming, that's gonna be uh, it's a sneak preview. That's going to be out on October 1. So um, great to have you on the show. Tell us a bit about the big issues facing Pfizer. Heads of communications are obviously more and more important in the current climate. We had a big discussion last week about um, Nike and um, brands sort of taking a stand on issues. But just generally, I think the days, we've talked about this, I think, at our conference, the days of saying, you know, PR needs a seat at the table, they seem to have gone, don't they? I think everybody knows yeah. that now. Now it's a case of what, what are you doing at that? table and right. what can you contribute we've got a seat at the table and it often feels like a hot seat yes <laughs> um, yeah. you know my office uh, is right next door to our ceo ian reed he pops his head in all the time i do think that that battle the one that we need to be included we need to be involved uh, has been fought and won so that that day has passed but more than that it's a really interesting time in a profession that i love and i do want to thank you and pr week for giving all of us in the field of a place to be and to talk and to celebrate and share ideas and so thank you for That's that. Thank so you for that. Fun job to do. But I think the most interesting question we have right now is what is the role of corporations in society today? And it is often the person who's leading communications or corporate affairs who's helping companies to answer that question. Whether it's at Nike or Levi or Pfizer what exactly is expected of us by our customers, in our case, by our patients, by our colleagues? So I'll tell you how, how we do it, because Pfizer is a very metric-driven company. They like to know, how do we decide to invest? How do we decide to put money in the pipeline? And they wanted to know, how do we decide to get involved in some of these social causes? So we created a framework where we asked four questions. One is, is it core to our purpose? Because you could get involved in everything, sure, but really you need to lean in where you have something related to your purpose. 
And then second, how does the issue impact our key stakeholders? Scientists, patients, the most important stakeholder is probably our employees. Third is, what are our options for responding? Sometimes when you're in the communication seat, you're under the gun of a deadline or somebody wants you to sign on to a letter, but you actually have more options than you think. You can do your own thing. Put out your own release, write your own ad, do whatever you want. And then fourth, what are the repercussions if you don't get involved? And I think when you see lots of companies talking about issues relating to fairness or human dignity issues, companies are really getting involved because silence is a statement as well. So it's a fascinating time to engage in all of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a blog about that last week, and actually I mentioned Ford in that blog because they had, uh, you know, the, the polit political framework plays into that as well, and um, you never know when your company's going to be on the agenda of the president or, you know, whatever's going on. And, of course, President Trump tweeted about Ford on Sunday, and they had to have a, a response ready. You've been in that situation this year. The drug pricing issue is obviously... Uh, a big topic of debate. It's, it's something that the president is clearly very uh, keenly um, focused on. So how did you, when, when, when Pfizer kind of, and the other pharma companies were caught up in that this summer, how did you prepare yourselves for that and what's the sort of mechanism from a communications point of view for responding in those situations? Right. Well, one of the things that President Trump said that is true is that healthcare is incredibly complicated. And so these discussions about pricing and access and quality and affordable care have been going on for a long time. Um, you know, I've been at Pfizer for over a decade. We worked on the Affordable Care Act with President Obama. We worked closely with the Trump administration on their blueprint. And we are very, very sensitive to the delicate nature of the cost of health care. Um, we take our, we set and take our price increases very carefully and thoughtfully, and when we did this past summer, and frankly, it was reported on, I believe, inaccurately by several members of the media. I know that shocks you, <laughs> the idea of something being inaccurately reported, but we felt that they were overstated um, and, and not really on, on cue for what we had done, but President read the press and he tweeted. So we decided to defer our price increases because we did not want to be an impediment to the reforms that he was doing with the blueprint. Uh, we will hopefully see some of those reforms come through, and if that's the case, uh, that will, I think, reshape the healthcare landscape. Um, but we have to also, I think, step back and say, you know, what is it that we as America want to provide for our citizens? And there needs to be a way for people uh, to get the medicine that they need to be healthy, um, and Pfizer is very committed to that. I could talk about this for hours. Yeah, it's a big topic. If you don't yeah. want me to, I'll pause. No, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in the sort of all of a sudden there's a tweet, you know, and it's the new environment the communicators are in, isn't it? And um, you know, even if you're in, on the West Coast, I think comms teams are now on duty from like four in the morning or something to, you know, in case the or even earlier in case there's a tweet comes out. So you've got to be ready for that, haven't you? And and then, of course, uh, the president, I think, positioned that as the drug companies heeding his call to cut drug prices. Yeah. And that wasn't really accurate either, because yeah. it was, it was uh, kind of spending a price increase rather than actually cutting prices. So, Well, the truth is, we are always ready because we know what we believe. 
And we again, we believe that everyone should have access to medicine. We believe that we need to continue to drive innovation, invest in our pipeline, $8 billion a year, Pfizer spends in its pipeline. But I also want to be really clear on something. We don't actually engage in politics. Um, in addition to leading our communications, I run Pfizer's government relations and our political action committee. And what we do get involved in is supporting people who are pro-patient and pro-innovation. Uh, companies, at least Pfizer, is not Democratic or Republican, but we are involved. Um, and we have to be involved because we're highly regulated. So for me, the, the true north has to be what is good for patients, what is good for innovative companies, and not engage in the, in the daily, you know, back and forth. Back yeah. And forth right? yeah, because you've, got, you've also got staffers and customers all over the world. And um, yeah, we saw after the election, you know, some CEOs actually came out and sort of made comments about uh, the president getting in. And some of the staffers were like, well, hang on, we, we actually voted for President Trump, you know. So you can't assume that all your people are on one wavelength, on one way or the other. No. So uh, that's a good point. And also, like you said, it's mission and on brand. So what's right for Nike might not be right for Ford or for exactly. Pfizer. You know, you, you've got to make sure it's, it's completely on brand. And we have 30,000 plus people in the United States, 100,000 people in the world, manufacturers, scientists. They have their own views and they're, and I welcome that. Um, yeah. What I do encourage is people to be just involved. I mean, there's elections that we encourage people to vote, but who they vote for is theirs. Yeah, yeah. But what's the messaging on the drug pricing issue? Because, you know, some people do look at it and think, wow, these drugs are expensive, you know? So what's the sort of communications line from Pfizer on, on that topic? Um, as, as the most important thing is that everyone have access to their medicine. And the good thing is there are many places for poor people to get uh, their health care. Medicaid, um, all the drug companies have some kind of a patient assistance program. I lead our effort at Pfizer. And if you are four times poverty level or below, you can get your Pfizer medicine for free. Most of the other companies do that as well. But what's really more important, Steve, is that we have to have a sustainable system by which people can pay for a, a health event that's cataclysmic. So I like to think about this like you think about um, housing insurance. I believe you can probably pay your bills on a monthly basis, your rent, your maintenance, your upkeep. But if your house were to burn down, you have insurance. And the reason you have insurance is to help you get through a difficult and unexpected period. If someone in your family, a beloved one, is struck down by cancer or something like that, that is like having your house on fire. And you should be able to access insurance so that you can be supported during this difficult time. So that's one thing. The other thing is we have too many middlemen in the system. Um, pharmacy benefit managers, others who are not actually discovering, creating, manufacturing, but are somewhere between the patient and the product. Lots and lots of industries have been disrupted for good. And I think the change is coming in healthcare and that it will be somewhat disruptive disrupted and I think that will be for good. Yeah, uh, we've got a special health issue actually in November which we're doing with MMM and PR Week joining up to do that which we do every year and um, you know you've got Amazon coming in, you've got Apple coming in, you've got IBM in the game, you've got Berkshire Hathaway, you've got the retailers saying well we're going to set up our own drug 
companies, you know, so that you're right, there's so much disruption. What, over the next 12 months, what are the big storylines that we should expect to see? And there's the, the whole health system itself, which would, would clearly be uh, a big story. Well, I will suggest that you watch for um, what might happen with the administration's blueprint. There's a lot in there that's very good in terms of more competition, less regulation, and things that could help the system a lot. The other thing I would look for, and where I always want to turn my eyes, is to where the scientific advance is coming from. I think it's great that Apple's getting in. Um, I want to get one of those watches and have all that information on my wrist. I've, I've talked to the folks over at J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway that are uh, trying to help and get in and consolidate their lives and disrupt the system, great. But where the real magic happens is in the pipeline of the drug companies. We have new medicines coming out in oncology, new vaccines on the horizon, and to me that is really where the rubber meets the road and what you want to watch for, including maybe even a non-opioid pain medicine. Right. Okay. That's, is that a little uh, exclusive for the... Uh week podcast? I'll call you when it's approved <laughs> by the FDA. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, you were talking about your staff earlier, and you guys are actually moving your head office in New York City down to the big Hudson Yards area, very exciting development down on the west side there. In fact, we, it's now called Midtown West, apparently, mm -hmm. um, which I didn't realize, and I do live near there. So um, tell us all about that, and what, you know, what will that enable you to do, and how exciting is that for your people, et cetera, Super exciting. Et a headquarters move is a big deal. Yeah. Pfizer's had three headquarters, all in New York. Um, our first one was in Brooklyn, which was very much about our factory, our manufacturing. We produced penicillin. It was all exciting and quality and at the manufacturing line. Our second headquarters is where we are now in Midtown East. Up near Grand Central. Over by Grand Central yeah. and the UN, mm -hmm. which was sort of a perfect place for a company that was becoming a big multinational, a global you know, uh, footprint there. Not perfect to get a camp there sometimes, especially when the UN's in session. But. That's true. That's true. And now, I, I believe our third chapter with our new home in Hudson Yards will allow us to be a more modern company. We're designing space that will uh, be less sort of private office and, and hierarchy, more open plan, more innovative and creative spaces in a neighborhood with other great companies like Coach and BlackRock and just a chance to refresh, and uh, I'm super excited about it. We all are. Yeah, I live around there, and I've seen the sort of development over the last 18 months, couple of years, and it's, uh, it's incredible what's going on there. It's gonna totally revolutionize uh, that side of the city. Um, when you think New York can't grow anymore or get, <laughs> get more gentrified, it's, it's, it's happening. But um, um, yeah, that'll be fun. That's happening in 2019? 2022. Oh, okay. So we, we have a ways to go. Okay. We're building our building from scratch. Right, right. It's a lovely hole in the ground right now. I'd be happy to give you a tour, uh, but we are really excited about and it. And then, yeah, 2019, sorry, I was getting my storylines mixed up, is when you're, you're restructuring the business a little bit into yeah. three units. It's yeah. currently in two. Just give us a quick sort of summary of that and how, how that's going to impact the communications function. Well, we've uh, reorganized the company to prepare for growth. Um, it's a really exciting time at Pfizer because growth is now on our horizon. So we have an innovative business, a, an established business, which will serve emerging markets and be uh, headquartered out of China. We have a consumer business. And so each one of these can act on its own terms and 
set its own way in which it wants to run and compete. We're giving more sort of autonomy to these businesses. And I have only one theory about how to organize a communications department, and that is as much like the business as you can. So we wouldn't restructure comms just to do it. We are restructuring communications and asking essentially the question, how can we support these new businesses, give them as much dedicated support as possible, and be aligned to their structure? Okay, well, we will look forward to that. Uh, I've read a couple of stories in the media about uh, potentially Pfizer selling its consumer business. Is that another fake news story, or is that, uh, is that a story we, we can expect to see more of? Our consumer business is a fantastic asset. Um, we make Advil, Robitussin, Chapstick, Emergency, uh, but we have been looking for strategic alternatives for the business. We wouldn't give it away. Um, someone has to show that they appreciate the value that it brings, uh, but it has been under a, a strategic review. Okay, so we'll watch the space. Thank you, Sally. Uh, Frank, bringing you in. Uh, this is kind of a healthcare-related story. Yes. Two Group, which is a health specialist agency. Bob Pearson, who's one of the top two executives there, is stepping down. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, uh, Bob Pearson, whose beard I'm very envious of. Yes. Um, he's stepping down from his role to take an extended sabbatical. This is effective immediately, but he's going to continue to work with W2O as a senior uh, advisor. Yeah, he's a very well-respected guy in the industry, and he's got a few things on his agenda. I think um, academic stuff, mm -hmm. a bit of teaching, a bit of consulting, a bit of, a bit of uh, so we'll see what, what uh, the new chapter brings for Bob. But I, I uh, saw in your coverage of this that uh, he quoted something brilliant, where he quoted uh, Warren Buffett as saying he didn't want to retire six months after he died. Yeah. So, <laughs> as we all age, it's something yeah, it's to think a, about. It is something to think about. That's a good point, yeah. Um, we've launched our Hall of Fame for 2018. Keep trying to get Sally to be part of our Hall of Fame. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get you onto it eventually. Um, but we've got a great group this year. John Graham, uh, the uh, former CEO of Fleshman Hillard. Dave Sampson from Chevron. Harris Diamond, now an ads guy, but he was uh, clearly very associated with Weber. Rochelle Ford um, and from the academic space. Lynn Casey from Padilla and Joanna. Bishman, who's at Harley Davidson, another company that's had some interesting sort of issues related to the president over this year. So, Frank, a great group, and we're looking forward to celebrating. We well, certainly are. It's uh, now in our sixth year, I believe, yeah. right? And um, it's still, we're not uh, thinning out at all. It's still a really good group. It, it is. And despite my having demure to be honored, <laughs> I do want to say that I think you always pick the people who really built this function, and great choices. Yeah, that's what we try to do. We, it's only our sixth year, so we are playing, playing catch-up as well, you know, with um, some of the names in the first few years, and, but uh, yeah, it's a great group. It's, it's one of those great evenings where, you know, the PR Week Awards is a fantastic evening, it's a little bit competitive, so, you know, everyone wants to win, whereas this is a, and it's, and it's a great evening. This is different. Everyone's happy and celebrating all the honorees, and it's always on the first Monday in December and a great dinner up actually Grand Hyatt, which is up near where you guys are. So, um, yeah, well, hope you'll join us actually, Sally, but um, it should be a, a great night, and uh, congrats to all our honorees. Martin Sorrell, um, someone known to you, Sally. Um, 
as you are on the board of WPP. But Frank, he's unveiled his plans for his new business, hasn't he? S4. Yes, yes, he uh, released a prospectus for S4 uh, this week. And this is the money quote from uh, Sir Martin, and that he wants to create a new era, new media solution, embracing data, content, and technology in an always-on environment for multinational, regional, and local clients and for millennial-driven digital brands. So a mouthful and a very ambitious uh, mission statement, you could say. Uh, He really is from Martin Sorrell on what uh, S4 is going to be. Um, So interesting part about it is that he says that he's going to bypass the traditional ad agencies and take on management consultants. Uh, is one of his big areas of focus there. And that's interesting because that's a little bit different than what he was doing at WPP and what he was saying there. So, uh, one to watch. Yeah, it feels like back to the 80s, doesn't he? He's really forward. <laughs> he's got a company. He's reversing it into a public yep. company. And it's, uh, Sally, can you tell us, obviously, on the WPP board, it's been quite an interesting year. Um, can you tell us anything about that whole process and um, and maybe share some insights in Martin, into Samarin Sorrell? Well, in, in terms of the uh, announcement that you covered today, look, I would never bet against Sir Martin Sorrell. He's an amazing man. He's built he built an incredible business with the WPP, and I wish him every success with S4. Uh, taking on the agencies, it's going to be tough. I mean, these agencies are there, and they're there because they serve a purpose. Same with the consultants. Um, they add... A unique perspective. They're often entrenched in some of their relationships. So, uh, I wish Sir Martin well. I think it's a it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Can you share any uh, any any news of the, how it was this year and the whole the whole process? No. <laughs> well, let, let me throw out a fun fact. Then. Um, the prospectus is 189 pages, which is both stunning and not at all stunning if you've ever read one of the WPP quarter, quarterly yeah. earnings reports, which were very in-depth under Mr. Sorrell. So, They're yeah. a little bit more vanilla now, aren't they? They are. And – you know, the call-outs that he would do to different agencies about their performance every quarter were really coveted, weren't they? You know, really? And his bath-shaped um, recessions and uh, what have you. Yeah. Yes. I, I would also, though, I would encourage you uh, to really get to know Mark Reed. I mean, do you know Mark Reed? Not, not that well, no. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I must admit, I knew, I knew Martin. So, so I first met Mark when he served at one point on the WPP board. And then he became the CEO for Wonderman, where mm-hmm. he led a turnaround. And then when the board was seeking a new CEO, the board uh, had a very robust external and internal search. And, and Mark came through uh, and was unanimously selected with flying colors. I think he's going to do a great job. I think he's the right person for this right time. Very modern guy, modest, self-effacing, even quiet, but thoughtful and sharp. And uh, we're going to encourage him to come on here and do a podcast. I would love, we would absolutely love. Uh, that is an open invitation, and anything you can do to help that would be wonderful, yeah. Um, I liked Martin Sorrell's quote when, uh, as soon as the appointment was announced, he was, he was out there, wasn't he? And he said he thought it should have been two people. And it was almost like saying, well, there's one person isn't enough to fill my shoes, <laughs> and, you know. Um, so I, I thought that was quite um, interesting. And also... You know, we, the board did look at external candidates, didn't it? And um, eventually plumped for an inside person. So that was interesting too. In that, you know, obviously there, there will be a change of direction, but it's going to come from someone who knows the company well. There were there were some 
interesting names being thrown around as uh, possible CEO candidates at WPP. You know, Tim Armstrong. You know, there were some some real right. There were some um, real out of left field names that were out there. Well, you know, there's always rumors about who's mm -hmm. in searches and who's not in searches. And searches are really delicate because this is someone's life, their livelihood, their reputation. So I'm not going to comment on who was in or who was out. But what's really important is not to have just gone to an internal candidate as a default. Um, and certainly you could say, well, maybe there was a premium on uh, con consistency given, you know, the, set of the circumstances. But the board felt, I feel, that Mark is the right guy in, the, in full knowledge of what I think was a broad set of candidates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the other thing mine said, wasn't it, that uh, the guy could have just done this six months ago, you know, it's a wasted time, a wasted process, but what you're saying is actually... I think it's a very valuable process, and if, if we had appointed someone in six days or six hours, we'd have been criticized for that. Yeah, it's, it's so, if you do, don't Yeah, you. I think the board's acted very responsibly, the decision is a great one, and the outcome is bright. Uh, one of the things, I mean, it's an interesting time for holding companies. We talk about that a lot. And, and the clients, you you guys are driving that change, aren't you? You want different things from agencies. So talk about that from a client perspective. You know, you want the best idea. It doesn't necessarily matter which firm it comes from. But the holding companies want to kind of sell you a big package of products, don't they? And that, maybe that was... WPP was getting a bit too broad. What's your take on that? Having, you know, having a, a unique insight to both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I have always believed that I look to hire people. And I have worked with various people in the public affairs firms, in the ad agencies. They're usually the ones who will give me the straightest talk, uh, who don't sell me stuff I don't need. And I'm less interested in which holding company that they're in, or who's their partner, or, you know, ideas that have been put forward, um, even WPB's horizontality, I, I sometimes question. Because if you have a Team Pfizer set up. We have a Team Pfizer and we have great people on Team Pfizer. Uh, and it is a very sincere effort by WPP to help us and coordinate and give us our best. No doubt. Uh, no bone to pick with that. But still, it is always about, I believe, the person who's running the account, their dedication to our goals. Do they wake up like I wake up, thinking about Pfizer every morning? Do they sweat when I sweat? And that to me is still going to always be the defining edge that any one company has. Is who are their people? It's what I spend my time thinking about at Pfizer. Who are my people? Do I have the best writers, the best storytellers, the best, most aggressive, assertive um, people out there telling our story? And is there any, how do you balance any potential conflict between being working for Pfizer and being on the board of one of the holding companies? So when I became uh, a board member at Pfizer, I delegated uh, to my... At WPP. I, uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. At WPP. <laughs> um, I delegated decision making on a selection of our agencies to my senior members of my team. And the people at WPP will tell you it's true. Uh, they don't always win, and it's it's far better for me because I'm protected from conflicts. And it's also important to me that members of my team make these decisions because they have to live with the outcomes 
and I will hold them accountable for the results. Yeah, okay. Um, another agency story and, and CEO related. Frank, MDC, they're on the lookout for a new CEO. Been a tough couple of years for that agency. Yes, it has in the post-Miles yes, post Nadal years. Uh, Scott Kaufman is stepping down from the holding company, uh, which is the parent of Allison Partners, KWT Global, which of course is the, the former Quitkin, uh, Hunter Public Relations, and some other uh, yes, some other shops. And uh, he's going to stay until they find a replacement. Uh, reportedly, according to the journal, uh, both uh, shareholders and the board were not happy with the company's performance over the past few months. And so, again, he is out until they find the replacement. Yeah, or until they, some, they find the replacement. They have some hot agencies like 72 and yep. Sunny. Crispin, the former sort of darling, was Crispin Porter Bogowski, wasn't mm -hmm. it? And creative shops do tend to burn brightly for a few years. And then. But So that hasn't been enough to bolster up the whole company for sure and it uh, obviously was a, a difficult transition anyway from uh, the Miles Nadal area, which ended ignominiously. No, and we can remember a few ba uh, a few years back when it just seemed like they were acquiring firm day yeah. after day. It's you know, they're just happened, yeah. Miles yeah. was sort of putting up competitions, you know, to get for agencies to get um, acquired, and it was certainly a breath of fresh air. But it, yeah, it, it didn't end well. All right, let's talk about your favorite topic, Frank. Apple. Yeah, you have got a new product out. You're a bigger Apple Watch fan. I thought you were going to say millennials. Ah. Okay. Well, kind of related. So, so it's it's interesting. It was um, you always get a lot of fawning coverage out of these Apple events. You know, it always seems like a lot of the tech side reporters who are there are always blown away and very impressed by whatever the new product is. But um, you know, if you dig a little bit deeper into the coverage yesterday, I think a lot of people said it was what you would call an Apple S year, meaning it's not when they unveiled totally new phones, but new versions of the existing ones uh, that are out. So uh, they released uh, different versions of the iPhone X, or iPhone X, as I call it. Um, you know, bigger screens. There's a cheaper it's version. Nice yes, yes. Thank you. Did you do that at school? Yeah, four years. Yeah, it's, it's good, for, good for learning English. Good for your Anyway, yeah, I can thank the Jesuits for that. So, um, all right. So, um, but a, a lot of people said it wasn't, you know, like a full release year with a lot of interesting yeah, no new products, new things product, like that. Yeah, you know, no speaker this year, no uh, totally new product, like a totally new watch or anything like that. So, yeah. Sally, yeah, well, I'm, well, I'm excited. I, oh, yeah. I, I want to. Now's the time. I'm yeah. waiting. I'm going to get my watch. I like anything that's bigger. Because the older I get, the less I can see. So anything that's bigger is better. But I just also want to say I really admire the company, Apple. Um, I had a chance to visit with Tor Myron, their chief of marketing this year. Um, I went to Apple Park. It's a beautiful place. They leave no... The, new, the new place. Yeah. They yeah, that no, must be amazing. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And they leave no detail unconsidered and I just have a lot of time for that. So we, we should say that the, their stock is up today. It's, it's driving the, the Dow's up 100 to end the day and um, you know and, and it's it's so clearly it's been a positive reaction from the market today. And by the way uh, Nike's stock is now trading yes. higher than it was before they did the uh, Me Too uh, it's not the Me Too stuff but just the latest Just Do It campaign and um, yeah, we talked about that. Well, that was one of the things they had to consider, wasn't it? But, mm -hmm. And so there wasn't an immediate reaction, which they knew there would be, but now the stock's trading higher. So that, that's interesting to see. Um, let's talk about a journalist who's going into PR. Yes. Uh, Nick uh, Diergen, uh, apologies if I pronounced that wrongly. <laughs> um, he's going to be, he's CNBC, 
uh, well-known journalist, but he's going to be the America's CEO of Brunswick. That's right. It's definitely an interesting move because I, I think you don't quite see uh, I, I don't think you see as many journalists go into PR as you used to, but you don't see them go in at such a high level, uh, maybe as you once did. So uh, he's going to report to Neil Wallen. Uh, he's going to be running the firm's uh, U.S. and America's business and counseling clients, both in the U.S. and internationally. He's a long-term uh, veteran of CNBC, where he was most recently the editor-in-chief and the SVP of Business News and a Wall Street Journal veteran before that. I, uh, I know Nick, and I think he's a great guy, and I'm happy to hear and I wish him every success. But to answer your question, Steve, it can be done. Um, it can be done. My first hire advisor was uh, when I recruited Sally Beatty from the Wall Street Journal, and she's been a great success. It's really whether someone has... Sitting in the room with us. She's here with us today. Uh, you have to say, does someone have not only the skill, but the mm-hmm. will to do this? Um, it, it's a different job, but with the right sort of incentive and motivation, I have a lot of experience of people who've done it really well, and I wish Nick all the best. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you. I mean, coming in in the top sort of a top role like that straight off the bat is going to be a, an interesting one, and understanding the agency business and billings and the future of agencies, etc., is going to be a challenge. Although Brunswick is a particular mm-hmm. type of firm, isn't it? Just on that topic, I mean, you you obviously will use your WPP shops, but then you'll use people for more strategic insights. We've heard about Sir Martin maybe concentrating more on that end of the market. What's How do you use those different agencies and how, import, how important is it for for you to have that option of a Brunswick? Or even now we're seeing Accenture, Deloitte, McKinsey, and all these folks trying to get in as well. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I said before, I relate to people more than I relate to agencies. Um, Pfizer has worked with Steve Lippin whenever we've done a major financial yeah, transaction. Yeah, used to be the U.S. And um, I rely Brunswick. heavily on Steve's advice for that sort of thing. Uh, I had a meeting this morning at 8 a.m. with Hillary Rosen from SKD Nick. Yeah. I think she is... She's a, coming on the podcast in a few she weeks. Told me, yeah. She told me. Um, and I think she has incredible insights as to sort of where politics meets business. So, you know, really I'm driven by... The, the insights, the candor, the long-term loyalty of a lot of people I've worked with. All right, listen, it's great chatting to you, Sally. Thank you so much for being on the Thank podcast. You. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure. Um, just a couple of housekeeping announcements. We've got our big um, conference taking place in Chicago. We're going... Uh, moving out of New York for that, so it's on the 18th of October. We've got a fantastic lineup. Please do come and join us. Tickets selling fast at prweekconference.com. If you are looking, if you've got some great work that you want to put into the PR Week Awards, you've got a few weeks left to do that. The first deadline is October the 1st. There's a webcast out there that on demand that you can get some tips on putting a good entry together. That's prweekawardsus.com. We have our 40 Under 40 dinner. That's on October the 23rd, always one of my favorite nights of the year. That's going to be a great gathering. And remember, it's our 20th anniversary, so that, uh, we're going to try and get some of the 40 Under 40 alumni to join us. That's events.prweek.com slash 40-under-40. A nice, uh, easy uh, web address to remember. Um, and, uh, yeah, our 20th anniversary stuff will kick off um, at the start of October. We have, have our special quiz launching next week, courtesy of Alex, um, our new web producer who's uh, on the dial. So uh, we're looking forward to that, Alex. Um, do go onto social media and on the website. Uh, it's a great quiz, a lot of fun. Um, we had uh, 
Alex did a great job putting that together. So, uh, but that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.